Well, good afternoon. It's a huge, huge privilege to be in Detroit. I recognize that I have an accent, but I am an American. I'm proud to be an American, blessed to live in this great nation. Uh, it's a real privilege to be come, come to Detroit. I've never been to Detroit before. I've always wanted to. We live in Denver, Colorado. We relocated. I have an Australia. I was, let me quickly give you this, quickly, because be, I was born in Africa, raised in Australia, lived in California, and that's where I met my wonderful wife, the Beach Boys. If you remember them saying about Californian girl, well, I got mine. I know that's bad to say that here, but anyway. And then we relocated back to, the, to Australia and led a church there. And then in 2010, God called us back to the U.S., and we planted a church in Denver, Colorado. And when we relocated back, we kind of saw and heard about some of the stuff God was doing in Detroit, or, or the kind of urban renewal type thing. And we were, I kept saying to the team that I was leading that we really need to see a church. We need to see some churches uh, planted and established in that region. We kept saying that. And, and then when we met Paul and Minda in, uh, where was Africa? I was preaching in a church they're visiting, and he was there. And we met, and I said, you need to get back to America. What are you doing in South Africa? And he said, no ways, I'm not interested. I said, no, no, you need to get back. Took about eight years to hear God, but he... And again, it's an incredible thing to actually see something of what God's doing and recognition of guys who've been here many years, pioneering and planting, and even just hearing some of the story of how God put this together. This is purely an act of God. We believe that. If this is a man thing and a man dream, it's finished before it started. And I'm, I'm not saying that sarcastically. That's the fact. You should not be part of what man's doing because God's not watching over man's doing. God's watching over what God's doing. And so we do believe this is a God thing, how God's orchestrated and the goodness and the open-handedness of some leaders and generosity to say, come, we want to back what God's doing. And and can I just say, remind you again this afternoon that, that the church is made up of people. God is about people, not buildings and even regions. He's about people. And, and it's wonderful that this church, Border City Church, is made up of individuals that in reality don't belong together naturally. I think one of the things we often forget as the local church is that it's not natural to do what we're doing. It's not natural to be sitting in a heat wave in Detroit here in this building at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday, hearing some mixed up accent speak some truth. It's not natural to be sitting on a pew here and look around. It's not natural for you to be together. In actual fact, if it was not for God, you, too, you would not be sitting together in this room. And I highlight that to say, don't look at it naturally, because then you'll see the issues with each other. But see that God has handpicked. Isaiah 41 speaks about the poor and the needy search for water, but there is none. But I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. And it says that I'll send, where there is desert, I'll put pools of living water and springs. This is a miraculous thing that God says He's going to do in response to the cry of His people. And I believe that's part of what Border City Church is about. And then he goes on and he says, and I'll put the cedar and the acacia and the myrtle and the olive and the junipers in the wasteland. And, and, he, and he, 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 I don't understand all that. Forgive me. I probably should. But what I know is that all those trees, shrubs, and bushes don't all belong in the desert. And they don't all belong together. 
But because God puts them together in the desert, it goes on and says that people may see, may understand, and consider that the hand of the Lord has done this. In other words, God wants to do something supernatural. It is supernatural how you ended up here. And I trust you'll understand because of the purpose and plan of God, you'll work your stuff out. You won't see it as natural. And it's not to bring glory to a team or to a man or to a movement. It's to bring glory to God so people know that God is real, God is alive, God is doing what God said He was going to do with all sorts of people who make up this incredible kingdom kingdom of God. And so we rejoice with you and we say well done in early days and we know what it's like to church plant and pioneer and I want to just tell you there's nothing exciting about digging down. No one gets excited except the builders who build houses. They'll tell you the rest of us who don't build. There's nothing exciting about what goes down. There's nothing exciting about foundations. We want to see what goes up. When you buy a house, if you build a house and you pay the builder to build and they take all your money and they build down. And you keep going and look at this house that's supposed to be built. And every time you go there, you're not seeing any progress. And you're saying, what am I paying you for? And they say, no, no, we're doing something significant. You say, what is it? Well, we're building down. We're establishing the foundation because how we determine what goes down, honestly, will determine how big, how strong, and how long this house can stand. And I think often when we come together like this, we're like, come on, it's got to happen quicker. Why is it taking so long? Should be bigger, should be better, should be more beautiful, or whatever else you want it to be. Should be more me's, more us. I'm telling you this, this afternoon that God is causing some things to go down so this church can stay. And I believe if this, please hear my heart, if this was birthed by God, then this church should not end until Jesus Christ comes back. It should not end when their season's over, when you perhaps are relocated elsewhere. It should be us laying the foundation in this great foundation, being the foundation of which Paul just read that scripture where Christ is the chief cornerstone, the foundation that matters most. And this is you giving your life, friends, for something far bigger than yourself, even if you don't feel like it. And we're doing it for generations to come. So stay faithful in it. Stay true to who God's called you to be. Be authentic. And I believe we're going to see many, many people responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ and being saved and added and being set free. So well done. It's great to have you guys here and a great privilege to be ministering. I'm going to ask you, please, quickly to turn in your Bibles. And if you haven't got one, you're welcome to leave right now. That's fine. But the rest of you, please. No, I'm just joking. Relax. <laughs> I'm just trying to win you over, but not like that, I guess. Maybe I should tell you how good your football team is. Is that good? No? I come from Denver. We have a good one. But anyway, I'll move on. Okay. Matthew 16. All right, I'm taking my glasses off so I can't see. It's better that way. I, 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 I don't want to be cliche. And I also don't, I recognize that all of us in this room have history. We've all come from somewhere. Whether we like where we've come from or not, we all have history. And that's awesome. But there's no future in our history. No matter how good it was or how bad it was, no matter what good experience you had or bad, no matter of your upbringing, while it's important, your future's not in where you've come from. It's in what God wants to still do. And I love that about serving God. It's always about the future. We, as followers of Jesus, we live for the return of Christ. We live for that day when He will come back. We live here on earth for the day that we spend eternity in heaven. So it's always about what's still to be done. 
And I'm saying that to you because your history is great, but you can't allow your history to determine your future, even as a local church called Border City Church. God wants to do some new things, but being authentic to the things He's already said. And so I've always used to believe that God gives cities to churches. I always used to believe that you can come to the city called Detroit and begin to cry out and for your city and God give me my city. And, and while I believe there is some truth to that, the more I read the Bible, the more I actually realize it's the exact opposite. What I mean by that is that God does not give cities to churches, but God gives churches to cities to impact them with the gospel. In, in other words, it's not a play on words. This church was birthed by God through these guys with you, not so this city can serve your vision, but actually so you can impact them with the gospel because God put you there, here as a gift to these people around you. Which means, friends, perhaps you've been growing up in a different model where it's all about us, come to me, we wait for them to arrive in our doors, when actually the church, interesting, that God never told the world to go to the church. He never even told the world to go to church. But He did tell the church to go to the world. And so that's not underplaying what's happening here this afternoon. But this is not church. We are the church. And God put us here to come together, to here to be established, equipped, and strengthened, and not then go and wait till next Sunday, but go and be the church who will impact people at every level, not just through the preaching, but through everyday life, because we're a gift to this city, so these people will find God because we are here. There's a scripture that really challenged me. It's in Acts chapter 17, and I will get to this. That's the plan. Matthew 16, stay there. But in, in Acts chapter 17, Paul, the great apostle, who, while he was great, was just a man. Maybe I can get in trouble for a moment and just say he was a man. We preach so much about Paul, we should preach more about Jesus, not Paul. But however, Paul was a man who penned a lot of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But Paul wrote or said in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, he says that God has determined the exact places and times where we should live. So however you ended up here was not because of your job or your career or your spouse or your parents. I believe God's determined where we live. You in this room, by God's plan, are here time and place. With all the issues we face in our nation and with all the uncertainty and with all the political agendas and all the stuff coming at us, perhaps you want to escape this place, but God put you here in this place, in this time, and He did it for a reason. Paul goes on in Acts 17 in verse 27, and he said, God did this, God determined place and time where we live. God did this, that man would seek God that men would reach out and find Him, though He not far from each one of us. In other words, Paul's saying, God determined where you live, when you live, and He did it that people will find God because you're here. Which changes how you go to the market and how do you go to the malls and how do you go to Starbucks and how you cross that little border that Canada is just on the other side. And it, it just means you see things differently. God puts you here so people will find God. It's awesome. It gives destiny to every one of our lives. 
And, and so I'm saying that is because God put you here as a church to be a blessing, to reach out, and not to be impacted by your culture, but to impact the culture around you. Isn't that awesome? So, Matthew 16 and verse 13, please. It says this. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? In other words, He's asking His disciples, What do they say about Me out there? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. In other words, you're a good man doing some good stuff. That's what they say. And then amazingly, Jesus moves His question from what do they say to what do you say? It's awesome. I do wonder what would happen in this room if Jesus was standing here and asked as individuals, well, what is Detroit saying about me? And we'd have, oh, they think you're this and that. And, and then he moves it to you in this room and says, well, what about you, my followers, my church? What do you say about me? I wonder truthfully how we would respond. Some would say, well, he's awesome. I think about you when I'm in trouble. Perhaps I long for you when I have a need. Oh, I'm reminded every Sunday how important you are. That's not enough. And so Jesus said, well, what about you, my followers? What, what do you say about me? And Peter pipes up and for the first time gets something right because he often got things wrong. But anyway, that's another whole thing. He said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Let me pause. America, can I say to us as Americans, from an American with a funny accent, this is not a faceless ideology called Christianity. It's not a teaching. It's a revealed Messiah, and that's what he said. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. How many of you believe Jesus Christ is the Messiah? He's the Son of the living God. He's not a concept. He's not a story, and He's not a teaching that we hang on to in difficult moments. In actual fact, let me get into more trouble. Paul, to take a while for you to invite me back, but let me just go there. You know this Great Commission? Jesus didn't leave us a Great Commission to convert converts to Christianity. He left us a Great Commission to go make followers of Jesus. Conversion to Christianity is very diff different to following Jesus Christ. Conversion to Christianity is changing religions. And we often present the, this walk with Jesus like try Him. How many of you have tried, said that? I mean, I must confess, even as a pastor and a preacher, I'm so desperate to be people saved that I'm out on the streets witnessing, and eventually I realize this person doesn't believe what I'm saying. So here's what I say. Look, try Jesus. Like, like if I'm wrong, you lose nothing. But if I'm right, well, well, then you get to spend eternity with God. I mean, how hard is that? And while my heart's wrong, my theology's wrong. Can you imagine Jesus walking around saying, look, I know you guys don't believe in me. I get this, and I can see the disconnect, but here's what I'm suggesting. Try me. And if I'm wrong, so what? If I'm right, well, Jesus actually said, if you're not willing to acknowledge me, you're not worthy of me. Now, you say, that's harsh. No, that, that's a difference between Christianity and some belief, change your belief system to follow me. It's changing to a master. It's not a teaching. It's following someone. Not some rituals 
It's a way of life. Christianity is not a ritual. It's a way of life. And why is it so important? Because this church has been birthed to be a follower and to be followers of Jesus, not converts to some teaching that actually is all about rules and regulations. And can I just say, when we lose our relationship, when our relationship with the Lord becomes it, we focus on other things, that moment we become religious. Paul said, oh, we don't want this religious garbage or whatever it was he said. You know, none of us want that, but we become that in the church so easily as the church. And it's, I believe the very only reason is not because our hearts are wrong. Our relationship becomes about stuff rather than walking with Jesus. You see, the, the, the following Christ... And the will of God is not a random roadmap that we pick and choose scriptures to trust we're biblical, which a lot of people try to do. When you follow Jesus, He reveals to you through His Word. So the will of God is actually a relationship, not a random roadmap. It's the ability to walk with Jesus and to hear Him and contend for your revelation with Him. All right, so we can carry on. In verse 17, so He said, You're the Christ, You're the Messiah, You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah? You're blessed by the revelation you have of me, not because of the car you drive or the wife you have or the husband you have. Those are all blessings or the church you're a part of. You're blessed by your revelation of me. How many of you believe? You put your hand up earlier about Jesus being the Messiah. Put your hand up if you believe that. According to Jesus, you're blessed because of that revelation. And then he said, and you are Peter, and on this rock... A blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you, man. Man didn't give you this. God revealed this to you. Isn't that awesome? God, I still believe, is in the business of revealing Christ to the church, not just to the world, to the church, because whatever we obsess over, the world sees in us. So it's not about just people seeing Christ. It's about the church staying enamored with Jesus Christ. That's the mandate here. And we get enamored with mission and church and ministry. And those are good things, but they can take the place of Christ. I, uh, I marvel if any of you have seen that picture of uh, Leonardo da Vinci's picture. It's a great illustration of the Last Supper. And I'm not in any way creative or an artist, but they tell me, they tell me, I don't know who it is, but they say that Leonardo da Vinci, it's the cream of, it's like the crown of his creation of all his paintings is this Last Supper. And they say before he went public, it took him three and a half years to paint this amazing picture. Before he went public with it, it says that they invited a few, he invited a few of his friends just to come and check out this painting. And it says they all arrived, and there were three or four of them, and they were wow and looking at it. But they kept, one of the guys kept obsessing over the cup in the hand of Jesus. And they kept saying how beautiful this cup is, and wow, that is so attractive, that eventually Leonardo da Vinci took his paintbrush, and he painted over the cup. And his friend said to him, what did you do that for? And he said, nothing should ever distract from the figure of Christ. And if you look at that painting today, the hands of Jesus are empty. 
but the original had something that was so attractive it took away from the very reason the cup was being held. And can I suggest in the local church, we as the church get so busy with good stuff and even begin to take the stuff that in hand. But this church has a mandate under God to stay the course and make sure Jesus Christ as this person, as the King of Kings, seated in the highest place, that revelation has to be the revelation you contend for and not let anything or anyone else get in the way of that truth because that's what Detroit needs is the revelation of Christ not just a great church Jesus Christ who he is and what it is he's done can you say amen to that so there is what Jesus is saying now that you, and you know what's interesting he said now that you know who I am See, we all as the church want to know who we are. We go to conferences that tell us what we are and how God loves us, and He does. But Jesus never told him who they are until they had told him who He was. And now that you know who I am, Jesus says to Peter, let me tell you who you are. And for the first time in history, Jesus begins to determine and to display and to talk about and describe this church that He's building. He never mentioned the church until they recognized who he was. Why, friends? Because that's the foundation of a church that will storm the gates of hell, not hang in there, hang together, and long for the return of Jesus. Are you with me? Are you understanding my accent? Is it okay? See, this church is not a good idea. It's not a man idea. It's God's only plan. The church is not plan B. I listen to some theologies out there, maybe even you've heard some of them, of plan A was Israel didn't work, so God chose plan B, which is us. Well, can I say, if plan A didn't work, plan B is probably not going to work either, and I can't give my life to something that's not going to work. God always wanted a peculiar people for Himself, and He always wanted a bride for His Son. So this thing you and I are and are doing is not plan B. It's guaranteed to work because God doesn't have another plan. And even when we get in the way and mess it up and we've had the bad stories of the church, God's not looking for plan B. Here we are, plan A, stay the course through the church. Ephesians 3.10, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known. There is no other way but through the church. The church being the church for the glory of God. When we read on, it says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Friends, not, not some concept of church. Not the keys to the kingdom. Jesus is the keys into the kingdom. What he gives you and I is the keys of the kingdom, which I believe what he's saying is you guys as the church, you get to administrate something of his kingdom here on earth. I wouldn't trust me with the keys of this church. Build it, let alone with the keys of the kingdom. But he says, my church. So I don't want to lose you here this, this afternoon. But I don't believe the church is the kingdom of God. I believe the church is in the kingdom, and I believe the kingdom is in the church, but the, kingdom, the church is not the kingdom. The church is the agency through which the kingdom comes. In other words, we can't be about the church. We've got to, as the church, be about the kingdom of God. Am I losing you? I hope not. Does that understand? This church is not here for this church. This church is here to advance the kingdom of impacting, increasing, and influence the world around us. You're the agency through which His kingdom comes, and He's entrusted us with those keys. It's awesome to be know that I've been entrusted, you've been entrusted with the administrating God's kingdom here on earth. Not the preacher, the pastor, God's people. 
It's the plan of God, the purpose of God. It's powerful. A.W. Tozer said that a scared world needs a fearless church. Well, we're living in a world that's very scared. Our nation's scared. You know what we need? A fearless church. Not a church hanging in and hoping God take us, escape us, get us out of here, but a church that is thriving. And listen, guys, not surviving the culture, transforming the culture. I know the challenges. I'm raising teenagers in today's world, and it's difficult, and it's fearful. But I cannot find a biblical backing for me to help my children survive the culture. I can only find that the Holy Spirit has come to help us transform the culture, not survive it. And the same as the local church. A lot of the local church today is discipling on how to get my people to survive the culture. Stay away from the world. Don't mix with the world. Don't get imitated. Just hang in there. Jesus is coming back. No, sir. No, ma'am. Jesus put you here to impact and transform them so you can reach them so Jesus Christ can come back. We have our challenges, but we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we've been put here to impact them for the King and for the kingdom. We're purified and sanctified, set apart, holy for Him. What a great picture of the church. So just in the few moments I have left before we're going to kind of just lay hands and pray over these guys, I, I want to just highlight this dream for a moment. Would you dream? And we have dreamed already. Just dream with me for a moment. I dream of a church. I'm just going to highlight some things, and I'm not going to be able to teach on them. Just highlight and throw them out and maybe give you some scripture to go read because what I'm dreaming is not my dream. It's God's dream for His church. Border City Church. I dream of a church, number one, captivated by Jesus. Not a concept, not a theology or even a theory, a revelation of who Jesus Christ is daily. See, I'm challenged when I read John chapter 1. And John is a man who had this incredible relationship. But John the Baptist, he, he's talking about Jesus. And John, then John writes and he says this. I mean, not John the Baptist, John. And he writes this and he says this in John 1. He has this testimony about Jesus. Behold the Lamb who takes away. Look, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And he begins to describe who Jesus is and what the promise of the Holy Spirit coming on Jesus. And he says, this is the one I testify of sin. Which is radical statements he makes. But then... I think it's about verse 35. It says, the next day, please don't miss this. Listen to this. It's, I've read this so many times and suddenly it hit me. In John chapter 1, verse 35, it says, the next day, John was hanging out with his two disciples. They were not Jesus' disciples. They were John's. And so he's hanging out with his two disciples. And again, Jesus walks by. And it says, behold, or look, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this is interesting. It says, when his disciples heard what he saw, they left him to follow Jesus. And I read that and I thought, that's got to be the testimony of the church. That our understanding and our revelation of Christ is so real. May I suggest so current that when people hear us describe Jesus, they don't see what we see. They hear what we see, and they leave us to follow Christ. That's Border City's mandate, that people hear your testimony and follow Jesus Christ. See, God can trust you with the city and the nations of the world if you're trustworthy with the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
I've had God tell me that, and not audibly, but certainly from Scripture. If you're faithful with the revelation of my Son, I can trust you with the nations of the world. Because who will get the glory? Follow Christ when you hear my testimony. That's going to be the lifeline for Border City Church. Not your ministries, your revelation of Jesus. Are you there? I've been married to my wonderful wife for some years now, 18 or 19 years. And uh, How many of you know I wouldn't have a good marriage with her if every time we talked about our marriage, we went back to our wedding photos? And I would say, Chief, baby, you're so beautiful 19 years ago. And Chi, you were so much thinner and younger. And how many of you know that, that that's not going to be a great marriage? Why? Because this is where most of us forget that a wedding is a ceremony. It's not the marriage. I'm amazed how we focus on the wedding. And then we forget actually the next morning, well, not even the next morning, as you say, I do. You now have a journey from an event that's going to be forever. We don't ever talk about that. And when you try marriage counseling, like before they get married, I've tried. I mean, I'm a pastor. I see, you sit there and you say, now you guys are going to have a fight. Oh, not us. We'll never fight. Uh, on their with honeymoon. I'm fighting. What did you say we're supposed to do? Why? Because can't see it, but it's reality. Now, why is that important? Because I think a lot of us, when it comes to a testimony, we talk about where we got in. Oh, yes, Tyron, I got saved in 1972. Praise God. But he don't want to know where you got in. He wants to know where you are today. And if it's based on 1972, you have no current testimony and there's nothing attractive about your walk with Jesus because it's not current. And with all due respect, people are not going to follow Jesus based on what happened in 1972. That was the event. Now we have the journey of walking with Jesus. And Paul, this great testimony, the hymn Paul, but Paul the Apostle, had radical encounters. We all know in Acts chapter 9, Paul had this encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. He, he encounters Jesus, he's blinded for three days, and he gets saved there. You know the story, I trust. Go read in Acts 9. But amazing, after that, Paul keeps saying, I want to know Christ, Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. I want, and I want to stop Paul and say, Paul, you know him. What's your problem, dude? You got radically saved, and you had this encounter, and I wish I had an encounter like that. But he didn't stay where he got in. And that word know in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. Can I just say, guys, that word know is not some intellectual word. I have thoughts of him when I hit the wall and I need to think on heavenly things. That word know is from the Greek word gnoskos, which speaks of intimacy experientially and personal. In actual fact, the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for that same word is in Genesis 4, verse 1. Don't let me lose you. Just think us through. Genesis 4, verse 1. Moses writes, and he says, And Adam had Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and had a son named Cain. How many of you know he didn't think about Eve and she fell pregnant? I'm not being rude. This is biblical, and I know there are children in the room. The point being... There was intimate. He had intimacy. Yada, which is the Hebrew word for the Greek word gnoskos. He had intimacy with her and she conceived. and had. That's the words Paul's saying when I as a man want to know Jesus. I wonder if that's true for you and I this afternoon in this room. 
You've got to contend for this revelation, friends. We've got to stay the course, captivated by Christ, obsessed with Jesus, talking more about Jesus than this church, than ministry, than Detroit, than the mission. Jesus Christ and the revelation of Christ, that matters most. Contend. I dream of a church captivated by Jesus. He's the head of your church, and a body without a head is a corpse. That's why I think a lot of the church is dead. We've lost our head. He's the heart of this church, and He's the hope not just for the world. He's the hope for this church. I dream secondly, and I have to land. Ten points, you wonder. I've got a plane to catch too, so relax. I dream of a church captivated by Jesus. Honestly, friends, secondly, forgive me, but I have to bring this in. A church that is committed to the Word of God. You have a safety mechanism here in this church to not do what Paul tells you to do, but to do what God tells you to do. And Paul has a recommendation, I mean, a, a responsibility, and Minda, as servants of God, to present to you the expectations that God has. And if they're not in the Bible, I want to tell you, you're not obliged to do that. He doesn't have to come up with it, and you don't have to listen to it. You just have to read the Scriptures together. It's not undermining His role. just means God is watching over His Word to see His Word fulfilled. There's a challenge for us in our culture today, is that a lot of what Scripture speaks challenges our culture. And for too long, the church is taking its agenda from the culture rather than the Word of God. And while our hearts are good, we're selling out on the call of God because we're not sticking to the Word of God. And there's a scripture, Psalm 119, verse 89, and this is what it says. Your Word is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Can I say, if it's settled and standing firm forever in heaven, then it's settled here on earth forever. So the Word of God still governs the body of Christ even if it doesn't match up with our lives. The problem with the Word of God is that we like it to be a lens, but it's a mirror first, right? Mirror. Mirror. How do you Americans? I'm trying, trying to sound like you, but that's what happens when I try. But it's a mirror first, friends, and we love to tell the people what the Bible says, but we actually have to live it first. I like the lens. Look what the Bible says. Go do it. But I don't like it telling me my faults. But it's there to show us. And I, forgive me if this sounds rude or crude. If I have this big pimple on my nose or big zitter, I'd like to know. Not by you telling me, by me seeing it in the mirror. And I can deal with it while I can hear it. You, you there? It's the same as the Word of God. We might not like what we see, but we can fix it before we go and tell others they got pimples all over themselves. And that's where the church is, I think, gone wrong. We're quick at telling everyone else what the Bible says, but we're not willing to adjust it. So can I say, learn the Bible, read the Bible, meditate on the Bible, and wherever the Bible doesn't line up with your life, are you ready? Your life dies to the Bible, not the Bible dies to your life. Our legalism. No, no. Freedom. The Word of God is true. Read uh, Psalm 19, verse, your word is, uh, it talks about the word of God being this wonderful, like honey on my lips, more precious than gold. It's perfect. It's been radiant. I mean, it's all the stuff we long for, the word of God brings if we see it as the word of God. Stay true to the word of God, friends. I believe God is watching over his word. You know, the problem is this. When we abandon truth and we begin to adjust doctrine, please hear the ultimate desire, is that we do not 
get a liberal Christianity. We get a whole new religion that is perverted by man, and unfortunately, the ultimate desire of it is to downplay the supremacy of Christ and the authority of the Godhead. And any time that's destroyed, the church has no future. So it's not so we can be more liberals. actually so we can lose our authority in Jesus Christ. And I've seen it even in our great nation. When we begin to erode the word and change it, we've lost our authority because it's not about the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is an optional extra even for salvation today. And that's insane when we understand truth. Are you okay? Word of God is awesome. Praise God for it. Quickly, thirdly, a church convicted and empowered by the Holy Spirit. <gasps> Whoa, did he say that Holy Spirit stuff? Yeah. Why? Because we just said the Bible's our mandate, right? Now, I recognize, friends, that all of us have history, and some of us are so like afraid of the Holy Spirit stuff because we've all had abuse, including me, that it's almost like we just will bury our heads. We know it's there, but we're not going to go there because it's kind of weird. I understand it, but let me just tell you this. You cannot fulfill the call of God if you're not willing to walk in the power He's given us to do that which He's called us to do. You know, the worst thing we can do with power, are you ready, is to pretend we don't have it. I often get asked, Tyron, what's more important, the Word or the Spirit? I mean, how do we get to this debate when it's not in Scripture and Jesus was all Word and Spirit? What's more important? So I kind of travel and I'm like, how do I answer that? Then I realize... I get on airplanes a lot. I spend a lot of time on airplanes. And I say to them, if you can answer this question, I'll answer this question to you. What's more important on an airplane, the left wing or the right wing? <laughs> now, if you don't know, airplane needs two wings to fly, so they're actually equal in importance. Well, that's the same when it comes to the Holy Spirit, the Word and Spirit. And I think where we have gone wrong, I think this is, uh, what is it, uh, Detroit... Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17, that spirit of Detroit. I, they showed me that. Can you believe how profound that is? What happened? And what that says is, now the Lord is the spirit. And when the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Can I tell you, according to Scripture, the spirit is everywhere, but freedom's not everywhere. In actual fact, the Spirit is right here, right now, and I'll be bold enough to suggest, even in this room, with this amount of people, freedom's not here in this room with all of us. Why is that? Because I don't believe that is what that Scripture is saying. It's not saying wherever the Spirit is, there's freedom. It's speaking in a context of the Lord is the Spirit. And I believe what it's actually saying is, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit is Lord, there is freedom. In other words, when we yield to the Spirit as Lord, that's when we find freedom. Does that make sense? Which then tells us that the Holy Spirit is not some optional extra as a blessing from God for deluxe Christians. The Holy Spirit is God. Therefore, He's not an optional extra if He's God. I think we've got to stick to the Word of God. We've got to preach what the Bible says. And actually... This church cannot impact this region. Fleshly, yes. Spiritually, no. You can do nothing more than the government's doing with all due respect if you're not doing it empowered by the Holy Spirit. Flesh, even good flesh, will always give birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. And we've been 
empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to yield to Him. And can I say, we don't need the Holy Spirit to come again. A.W. Tozer said, if God, was, if God was to remove the Holy Spirit from the world today, 95% of what the church is doing would carry on and not even know the difference, which is tragic. But even more tragic, he went on and said, but if God was to remove the Holy Spirit from the early church, the majority of what they're doing would stop and everyone would know the difference. Wow. We don't need the Holy Spirit to come. Guys, I'm not stepping on your toes. I wish I, I'm going to cause a lot of problems for Paul. Go see him. He'll tell you. Here's what I want to say. We don't even need another Pentecost. Why? Because it happened. Do you believe it happened? If you don't, then you can't believe you're saved either because it's all in the Bible, same Bible. So Jesus promised you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And you'll be. Isn't that awesome? When the Holy Spirit comes, He's going to... So witnessing will not be a duty. It's actually going to be your identity. You will be my witnesses when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So in Acts chapter 2, while they were worshiping Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, and not tongues of fire, what seemed to be tongues of fire, and they began, and they all sang and spoke in different, and empowered, the church was empowered, the Holy Spirit was birthing the church, and from there, the region was different because of what happened in that moment. It happened, and it's never not happened. And God didn't say, oh, gee, it didn't work. Let me hold him back. Now take the Holy Spirit back and look for another generation. The same Holy Spirit who empowered the early church, friends, is the same Holy Spirit you and I have right here, right now. What we need to do is acknowledge Him, open our lives to Him, and allow Him to be God again and to transform us so we can reach out and touch people. Because you can't show people Jesus is alive if He's not alive in us by His Spirit. He's not a blessing from God. He is God. Early church didn't have big budgets. Good news. Early church didn't even have approval from the government. It's amazing. If only the government would be on our side, we could get a whole lot done. We'll read the book of Acts. It would help, but they had none of that. They were in prison, killed and beaten for what they were doing for the king. They didn't have big budgets. Silver, big budgets. Silver and gold we didn't have. If only I had people like Jerry has in his church, then we could really do something. Or the early church, then we could really do something. You know the early church, impure members. Motives were wrong in half the church. People were get they had just like us. But you know what they had? They had power. That's why they did what they did. Do you know that? We have that same power. We can do what God called them to do if we would lean more on God to do what God said He would do. Amen, yeah? A church is compassionate. I'm just going to say them from memory. Compassionate. See, I, I, I look, I've been in your city for a few days. This is a great city, but it's a broken people. I want to tell you what, that God can't send people to people who are religious. We who are religious here this afternoon, can I suggest, need to repent of our perfection and get back to understanding who we are because of who Christ is. A people who are compassionate are challenged by Matthew 13. It's the parable of the kingdom, and it's talking about fishing. And I, I don't like fishing. I like to eat fish, but I don't like to fish. If you like fishing, then you're boring. That's all I can say. But the reason I don't like fishing is because it's very boring. All right. Sorry, I just offended some of you fishermen. But they tell me that when you go fishing, you use a fishing pole, and with the pole, you use certain bait to catch certain fish. Is that true? 
Well, that's great because that's fishing with a pole. The kingdom's about catching fish with a net, which means you catch fish you don't want. A pole you choose, a net you catch all kinds of fish. Jesus says the kingdom is like a net that catches all kinds of fish. And then it goes on and says, and at the end of the, day, end of the age, the angels will separate between the good fish and the bad fish. Are you there? So if you're an angel in this room, please put your hand up. And if your husband calls you an angel, you're not really one. But the point I'm making is there are no angels. They might be, but we're not angels. So we don't have the right to choose who's in and who's out. This church has been put in this region to catch fish that you won't like. But we need to celebrate broken people. You know why? You know what the problem with broken people? You ready? They arrive broken. And it's our role in God to bring into a place of healing and restoration. And that's one of the reasons this church has been put here. And if you lose, you don't have a heart of compassion. Even healing, signs, wonders, and miracles. Oh, if only we could have those signs so people could see Jesus. You know, Jesus never healed people for a result. He healed them out of compassion. Had compassion on them. And He healed them on their compassion, on His compassion. I want to just say the stuff God wants to do is based on compassion here. Anyway, I have to land this with the joy and privilege of laying hands on these wonderful people. And so I think what you need to know is these guys have led a church before, if you didn't know that. And I had actually had the privilege of doing the handover when they handed over their church to, and that's just amazing too, in South Africa. And... Uh, but they've been ordained to that already. But this afternoon, we're not ordaining them. We're just going to induct them officially into their role they've been carrying anyway with this church. But we do believe in this. It's biblical. It's right. And for God to release some things into them for the season, for what is, make it more official. And it's a real privilege to have Jerry and Joy just here with us to join in. And so they're going to join in with us. All right. So please hang in there. There's a few more moments together. But Paul and, and um, Minda, please come out here. Would you mind? And also... Please, Jerry, enjoy it. It'd be great to have you. My wife too, Nicole, obviously. You know, you know this kind of church that I've tried to describe quickly, this dream, can, can I say this? It's going to take courageous leadership to happen. It's going to take courageous leadership for this stuff we've just talked about to actually happen. God has a purpose and a plan, and He will do His part. But it's going to take courageous men and women who will actually almost go against the grain of society and Christian, Christianity to get back to living the reality of what Christ put His church here for. So I do believe, even this afternoon, as we're just kind of laying hands on them and inducting them into their role, their official role, which is important, but they're no better than you in this church or in this kingdom. Do you understand that? They just have different roles. They're not better than you or even higher. They've been given different authority to lead this, but God doesn't look at them fondly across over you. You're all equal in God's eyes. So while we honor what God's doing and we recognize their role and responsibility, you in this room have a major responsibility as this church to live out what God's called you to live out because God won't allow them to do what you've been called to do. It's not through the leadership. It's through the church. So I, I uh, 
We're going to just lay hands and induct this wonderful, wonderful couple onto their official leadership position. And I, I want to just maybe highlight a few things, and then I'm sure if you guys have anything, please feel free to share. As long as it like, doesn't say all the stuff I said was wrong, I'm happy with none. No, I'm joking. You have freedom for that too. But I, I just maybe can highlight for you guys, which I know you know well, and sorry I got my back to you, but I'm not sure how else to stand here. But I do believe that at Leaders, we've got this incredible privilege and responsibility. Eldering, pastoring is... It's a magnificent call. It's, it's a high and holy calling. I don't believe man chooses elders. God calls them. Called of God to lead his people. It's a huge trust. It's a privilege and trust. And too much has been given. The Bible speaks about much is required. And it's not more on you. It's understand the magnitude of this role and responsibility. I, I believe it's exciting. It's an exciting, you know that, and even church planting and what you're doing here incredibly exciting, but it's to see people loved and cared for, and also to see potential being fulfilled. But to know, as I said, much has been given, much is required. I believe it involves local church responsibilities. I think elders or pastors have three major responsibilities. You've heard me teach on this much. It's from Scripture, but just for your guys, the first thing is to, number one, guard the gospel of the kingdom. In a sense, the stuff we've preached this afternoon is that. God the gospel. In other words, please God, not please man. Please God first. God this gospel of the kingdom, the message of Christ, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the mission and the mandate of outward focus and nations and reason. That's number one responsibility. I think secondly is to God be shepherds. And uh, I just want to just remind you in First Peter chapter 5, which I'd like to have read, but we haven't got time, but Peter writes as a fellow elder. It's always good hearing from someone who's doing it rather than some expert who's done nothing. But he writes as a fellow and he says, Be shepherds of God's flock. Amazing interplay of words. Shepherds of His flock. So you have a job, but they're His people. It's radical. Be shepherds of God's flock that are under your care. How does that work? I don't know, but that's what he said. So His people, your care. Not lording it over them, but being examples to these people. It's right. And then the, the thing, verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive your reward. And, and I don't, I've said this many times. I don't believe pastoring is for recognition here on earth. Actually, well, I think what Peter's saying is when you get to heaven and the chief shepherd appears, it's going to be a reward forever. So it's not, look at the price we're paying here. God says, I see it. That's all that matters. And when, you can't, when the chief shepherd appears, your reward will be there forever. So that keeps us going, loving all people, even when we get hurt and get bitten. And, and just so you know, sheep bite, just so you know. <laughs> Shepherds don't bite. They might beat, but sheep bite. I, don't, I hope they don't beat. If they do, call Jerry and then he'll call me. But, but I'm seriously, but sheep bite. It's just painful. But if you're doing this for them, you're done. If you're doing this for your city, you're done. If you're doing it for him, when he returns, rewarded for eternity. So there's no price too big. That's awesome to know God sees it all. And you're doing it for eternity. And, so, and then Psalm 78 where it talks about David, shepherded them with integrity of heart. Amazing how eldering, shepherding is actually heart. Integrity of heart. Which I think it's not looking for, if I do this then they'll stay and a hooking. There's no hooks in this. I'm doing this purely because I'm called to love these people.
integrity of heart, and then it says, in skillful hands, he led them. And so it's shepherding, which is a big deal. So it's guarding the gospel, guarding the people, and then it is um, guarding and governing, leading. You've got to lead God's people. So leading, governing. And that's the third, the third responsibility, is to lead. You can't just love, can't just feed. You've got to lead. And the problem with leadership is People don't like always to be told what to do. But if you can guide them from Scripture with great patience and worthy truth, I believe people will follow you. Because the problem with leadership is to keep people not happy, keep them moving, <laughs> which makes them unhappy. So pray for these people. But it's a God thing, and God put you in this place. And so, so do you believe, which I did know you have because you've relocated and come, but do you believe God has called you in this season and in this time to lead these wonderful people into their inheritance? Will you love them? Will you protect them? Will you pray for them? Would you admonish them? But in this wonderful patience and doing it for the King and not for your ministry. Would you recognize the relationships and the partnerships outside of uh, uh, this church and seek to honor those relationships and practice as best as you can the unity of the faith which we hear about in the Ephesians chapter 4 you do you will all by the grace of God right praise God if this is your church and that's a trick question so be careful but okay no don't I won't ask that just put your hands would you mind just stretching out your hands I'm going to ask if you also have some things perhaps but it's hard to do this because I know you're establishing and so you don't know who's part of this church and who's not. And I'm not tricking you, but if this is the church you feel God has called you to, by the grace of God, you, will you do your best under God to pray for these people? Will you do your best under God to listen to them and respect their role in leading you the way God's called you to be led? Would you do your best to submit to that? Because the Bible actually says if you do that, it'll be good for you, not just for them. Not control, just respect and submit and understand. These are God-given leaders that we're going to do our best to submit to. By the grace of God, yes. Thank you so much. Do you guys want to say anything or say anything or pray? You good? Okay. We're going to pray for them. Will you help me pray? <clears throat> so would you just stretch out your hands? And I mean, even if uh, your boys, you guys want your boys to come out. Come out, your boys. They're part of it. Hey? I mean, we're not ordaining them or inducting them, but they are part of this. Big deal. Well done, boys. You guys are champion. Church planners right here. It's awesome. Maybe you can stand. Would you mind standing? Um, can, can I get you to pray? One of you, would you like to pray? And then I'll pray as well. Father, we are so grateful for what you've done through this couple. We're so grateful, Father God, for the anointing on their life and, and, and grateful that they've joined that anointing with a heart of love for this city and for these people. Yeah. Father, it's not for a city named Detroit. It's for the people of the city named Detroit. And I thank you, God. I thank you, God, that as they've stepped into this role, Father, they've stepped into a new anointing. And I thank you, God, that even as of today, that newness of anointing, Father God, comes forth. And Father, people recognize that. 
There will be people that are drawn to that anointing. They don't know what they're drawn to. They don't know what it's about. But Father, I praise you and I thank you that they are drawn to the life, the, the water, the life-giving word, Lord, of this church, of this couple. Father, we set them apart and we thank you, God. We thank you, God. We thank you for these boys. I thank you, Lord, that, that they, they've been called alongside their parents. They didn't choose it. They didn't choose it, but Father God, they're a big part of this team. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that they are anointed for their role. Father, I give you thanks. I give you praise for that in Jesus' name. I know that Isaiah 61 has been a big kind of truth for you as a church, and, but I've been drawn to this Isaiah 58, which is obviously the context is true fasting, and I'm not going to talk about fasting, but there's something in there that says this, and I feel like it's God's promise to you, has been and will be for you as a church or you as a family, but it's also for you as a church. Isaiah 58 verse 11 says, The Lord will guide you always. And He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. And I love this. You will be like a well-watered garden. You won't be, a, you'll be like one. Well-watered garden. Like a spring whose waters never fail. The Lord says your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. And will raise up the old age foundations. And then he says this, you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And I think to be called that means you've got to be there. He's not calling you that to have suggestions. That's the call. Repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And while we know that this is a broken down city and that it's gotten, wow, God's restoring a lot in that. It's not about the building, obviously. It's about the people. And this church has been birthed here alongside all these other churches to be repairers and restorers, to bring dignity and restoration to God's people and to a region and to a place. And He's handpicked you, and while He's been preparing you, He's been preparing people. And there's this hand-in-glove connection. While you don't naturally belong, as we've said, but supernaturally done for the display of the Lord's splendor. May God give you wisdom and grace and courage to be authentic, to stay true to what He said to you, not what other churches are doing, what this church has been called to do, not to compare and compete, to celebrate what God does elsewhere, but to be authentic, because what you bring is what's also needed to not just bring another church, more of what's missing, to bring rebuilding and restoration. And so again, I know that Jerry's prayer. Can we just put our hand? Baby, can, have you got this? Is, Father, in the name of Jesus, we, we thank you for this amazing couple, certainly servants of Christ, lovers of Jesus, responders to your great call, said yes to go to Africa and yes to get back to America. We know that you pick people, you chose. They did not choose you, you chose them. We thank you for their faithfulness. We thank you that they have done things and they've led before and we're grateful for their experience, grateful for the things they've had and done. But Lord, I pray even today as we lay hands, we pray for fresh anointing, a new anointing for a different task. Not a task of, the, of old, but a, a task to be done into this future. New eyes, eyes to see what you're doing 
ability to say what you want to be said that would connect with this context, that would connect with this culture and the culture you're building here. I pray fresh anointing. Lord, even now, would you, fill, would you fan into flame the things that have laid dormant for the season? And as we lay hands on them and release them and induct them and, and, and commission them to your call, we believe all we're doing this afternoon has already been done in heaven and we're just echoing what heaven's done already. And so we don't take this moment lightly. We know that you're releasing things in. Give them now, we ask. Fill them afresh. Courage to not back off, to not be loud, but to be firm and convinced. Ability to see you in things, to know they dig in deep, that they're laying foundation. Let them not take shortcuts in this season. Help them to stay the course. Guide them, our great Jehovah. Guide them. You'll guide them and they'll be like a well-watered God. And that's the promise. And we say, Lord, whatever is needed in this time now, we pray your blessing over this marriage. Lord, will you strengthen their marriage? Lord, would you give grace that is way above what they need, Lord, more than enough. Your grace is more than enough in this context breakthroughs, people alongside them. I pray for this church together alongside them to serve your purpose, not their, your purpose. Strengthen this team, these kids, these boys. Bless them, bless them. When they've given up, would you give them more than what they gave up, we pray. Would, they, would you show them your goodness and your faithfulness in all of this, we pray. We commission them this afternoon to your purpose, your call, your plan. We thank you for them. We say use them mightily in this time, in this season. And let this Border City Church be a huge church of impact for the King and for the kingdom. Lord, we ask for kingdom breakthroughs and for advancement and for impact and for increase and to influence, speed up the process and use them for your purpose, we ask, for your glory, for your fame, because Jesus, it's all about you. In Jesus' name, amen.